Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Um, how many people have, have never heard me speak before? Amazing. Yeah, let's go. One person. I got an audience. Come on, I can deal with that. The, the good news is, is that I took almost as much time prepping this message as I did my hair. I'm, I'm getting to like a 50-50 ratio of, of hair prep time versus message prep time. Early days, it was like 90-10, so don't go back and listen to my other messages. They're, they're mostly glamour, very little depth. But we'll see where that goes. I, they, my, I might just go off the rails and just be a train wreck, but have really deep revelation. Pastor David, he said that the less hair a man has, the more anointed he is. Did I just call you Pastor David? Come on. It's already happening. You already are one. The wisdom and anointing that's on the Lujan family. God, I'm so thankful for you. Some of the best friends, some of the most powerful and caring and loving people in the world. But for those of you who don't know me, I'm actually not from a distant church. I just go to San Marcos. It's like seven minutes away from here. We actually, in the free agency draft of 2019, got recruited over to San Marcos, so we signed a contract to be over there. But you know, you never know when free agency comes up again. We're open to offers. Don't tell Pastor Matt that. He will not be happy that I said that. I do. I, so for men's prayer, I have to drive past there, and every time I'm driving to San Marcos, I'm like, oh, this feels a lot closer. No, <laughs> it's that much more beauty rest I could have, but I'm, I'm excited to preach here. How many people love Christmas time? I would, I would challenge you that most of you don't love Christmas like my wife loves Christmas, like the literal queen of Christmas. If it was up to her, we would have three trees up, one outside, one inside, and one in our bedroom all year. And it's a little weird but I've learned to try to embrace it. You are awesome, though. Yeah. I don't, I don't get to honor you enough. I said this at the nine. You are one of the most brave and faithful and beautiful people I've ever met. I'm, I'm so grateful that you're my best friend and that you're my wife, and uh, I, I couldn't imagine life without you, so thank you, baby. I love you. So Rachel loves the Christmas season. I endure the Christmas season, largely because I grew up in retail. So I have just like post-traumatic stress syndrome anytime I hear a Christmas carol or smell Cinnabon or see Santa in a booth. Like all of it just triggers me. Um, it's, you know, I don't know. That smell from Cinnabon, it should be illegal. That and Subway. My pet peeve, this is, I don't know where I'm going with this. If you sit behind me on an airplane with Subway, I will fight you. That is disgusting. It should not be allowed. That's probably the only time I'll wear a mask on a plane, is if you have Subway. Why did I say that? I don't know. Welcome to my wife's life. Full of sarcasm and rants that make no sense, has nothing to do with what we were talking about. But that's me. 
and that's why I only preach like once a year. <laughs> no, but I do want to talk about the Christmas season because what, what I've found in my life is that much of my belief system about Christ, about God, about Christmas, about church was formed in this like mutant version of Christmas understanding because I didn't have church. I didn't grow up in church. So my theology was this like, patchwork quilt idea of like, I'll take a little bit from Santa Claus and I'll take a little bit from baby Jesus and I'll stitch together this ridiculous blanket and I'll call it my belief system. And what, what that turned into was just brokenness and loneliness and coldness and weirdness. And I needed a church that could speak truth to me. I needed a, a church that could, that could actually teach me about Jesus, about church, about what God was supposed to be. And so my goal this morning is to kind of unpack some of the subtle, messy messages that you might have started to adopt, even though you understand God. So the title of my message is Bad Santa. Bad Santa. I know, I know. We all love Santa. Just, yeah, we'll get there. It's a terrible movie. I tend to preach often about movies that you shouldn't watch. So I don't, don't, this is not an endorsement of the movie by any means. You don't have to go boycott Santa at the mall. Just leave the dude alone. I'm not even telling you what you need to teach your kids about Santa. I'm just saying this is not how you should believe your, build your belief system around God is around Santa Claus. And what I want to do in, in this is touch on some real things. Our church believes as, as, leaders and his pastors to continue to promote fresh, real, and powerful. And what that means to me is that we're going to rebel against anything that is religious, Christianese, fake, pretend, masked, performance base. And that's what a lot of churches that I've experienced were like. And that's what a lot of Christians were like. But you will not have real breakthrough and real healing if we don't talk about real things. And you certainly won't believe in a real God if we're all just putting on a performance. So that's, that's our heart as a church, is to break those things down. So my first point of the message is God is not Santa Claus. You probably knew that, I'm assuming. But what I want to challenge you in is do you behave like it? This, this is something that I've found that a lot of my life, pre-church and also in church, can swick, very quickly slip into a Santa Claus-like belief system. I think we sang it in the nine. Should we sing it here? Yes. Come on. You know the song. He's making a list, checking it twice, find out, naughty or nice. Come on. We need more. Ready? He sees you. That's a weird line. He knows when you're, come on. He knows if you've been, so be good for, that's it. This is why we're not on the worship team. All of us, me included. Once I got voted the most off-key singer in our young adults group, so that was fun. So my dreams were dashed then. Thank you for being real in that moment. But one of those lines sticks out to me a lot that's problematic, and it's be good for goodness sake. Yeah. Be good sounds nice. It sounds like something we should go for. But what I found in my life is the desire to be good, to be good enough, to try to be on the good list, 
actually became a very broken theology around how God was. Now, my kids, they have a sticker chart on a refrigerator. And when they do good things, they get a sticker and ultimately they get rewarded. And that is a quasi-decent parenting technique. I wouldn't recommend it. I, it's yet to see if it's going to work. <laughs> but, but it is a terrible theology around God. But we can see that. We, we can start to go like, okay, well, Pastor Jesse must have like five rows full of golden stars because of how good and faithful he is. And, and this year I put up three. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it onto the list. It it's subtle, and, and, it's, and it's laughable when you frame it like that, but it's real when we start to see that somehow we've started to believe that if you do good, then you will get good. Somehow we've, we've believed this idea that Santa Claus is this miser, arms crossed, mean God going, wait, I'm going to double check this list. Rachel can't be on here. I said that. No, of course you are. You're an angel. But even that idea that he's going to double check the list, like somehow we're going to now do an audit and we're going to make sure that there is enough people on the, on the bad list. And that's how I started to behave. That's how I started to believe. That's how I started to operate. That somehow God had this reward-based incentive program that I could participate in. And, and it gets mirrored and doubled down, whether you're in sports or you're in business for men, we can be performance-based driven. We can start to go, okay, well, if I do this, then I'll get that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be rewarded. Like, I don't want to hand out equal place trophies at sports games. I, I, that's a terrible idea. I'm just saying that if your identity becomes in what you do and how you perform and whether you see your own goodness and your own ability to be good, that's terrible. That's a trap for the heart. That's a trap for your belief system around the goodness of God. What, what I found for me is that I, I thought you had to put on your Sunday best. And I'm not saying dress like a slob. I'm, I'm saying this idea that somehow you had to get right, get clean, and get good before you could come into church. Like We've had friends that have been like, oh, yo, you don't want me in your church. You don't know what's going to happen if I step foot in there. And, and they say it kind of like half-heartedly, but they, they have almost a Santa Claus-like perspective of God, that God somehow says, hold on, hold on, before you let that one in, clean him up. But that is not God's heart for how he sees people. If you, if you look at this song, it says that he's making a list and he's checking it twice, but the Bible actually says the absolute opposite of that. In Colossians 2.14, it says, he canceled the records of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. How beautiful is that? Not only is there not a list, it's nailed to the cross and it's covered in his blood. It's been paid for. That's a much more radical and beautiful and good news thing to share with people than, well, we'll see how good you do. But how often do we behave like that? Psalms 103 says, this is so radical. I, I think this must have wrecked the Pharisees. The Pharisees, if you see Jesus, went after them all the time because they were all about doing good. They were so concerned about the exterior looking good. And, and God said, look at the interior. It's not the exterior that makes you clean. It's the interior. But listen to what he says. He says, he does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. His unfailing love or those who fear him is as great as the heights of the heaven above the earth. And this last line, he removed our sin as far as the east is 
from the West. I love that picture. That picture that not only is there not a list, but that the further I step, I never get closer to my past. Do you realize that if I walk west, I will never reach east? I continue to step into his grace, and I continue to step into his favor, and I will never get closer to the thing that he's forgotten. He has no list. To me, that was never talked about. So, so my patchwork quilt of belief systems was God has a list. Now, there is a heaven and a hell. Don't get me wrong. But his desire for you is to send his son to you to pay the price for you so that you would have eternity with him and have no record of wrong attached to your name any longer. And that's such a more beautiful picture. So you're probably saying like, yeah, Mike, okay, we get it. Like, we don't believe God is Santa Claus. But what I want to ask you is to locate yourself. How do you really act? Were you, were you more on fire when you were a kid for God? like a kid is for Santa? If you think about how excited a kid gets to be in the presence of Santa, he's like constantly waiting for Santa to come, looking around like, where is Santa? But are we like that as adults with God? Or do, do we come in the church and go like, ah, another Sunday? Hmm, maybe. I might wake up this morning. We can miss the first few worship songs. Like, do, like is our, does the way we behave indicate how close we are to God? You know, what happens with Santa is you only get to see him once a year. And there are Christians and believers who really only come for Christmas and Easter. And that's not what God wants from you. He does not want a twice a year relationship with you. I wonder what, what does our list look like? You can find out a lot about how you view God by what you ask him for. Especially early on for me, a lot of what I would pray for would basically be like a vending machine, like all right, God, this is going to be awesome. Let's hit jackpot. All right, because I, I gave you a Sunday and a 10% check. Like, can you give me something? And, and it was all materialistic stuff. I wanted a car. I wanted a house. I wanted a, you know, whatever. I, I just wanted things from him like I wanted things from Santa Claus. And, and I want to help us undo that heart position towards God because he wants so much more than you to walk up to him like a genie in a bottle like a vending machine, like Santa Claus. So the last thing I'll ask is, is what does it sound like when you talk to him? You know, when, when my kid talks about Santa, that's not how I want him to talk about me. So, so the way I've found to break this is how Jesus teaches us, is he says that you're to approach God when you pray and say, Our Father. To me, that's such a beautiful picture of our position to him. I do not want my son Asher to come up to me and be like, okay, dad, so this is, I'd like this and this and this and this and this. And oh, by the way, I've been really good this year. Meanwhile, he just pushed his sister off the couch and he stole something from the grocery store. You know, like, and that's what it's like. Like Santa's like, have you been a good boy this year? And he's like, mm-hmm. And you're like, no, you weren't. But I don't want that dialogue with my son. I want my son to come to me and be like, Dad, today was a tough day. I, w I want him to say, Dad, I'm really, it doesn't make sense, but I'm really believing for this. And what I want to be when I grow up is this. And what I would love to be able to do is this. And, and, and to bring dreams and to bring hopes and to bring hurts to a father is very different 
than bringing a wish list to Santa Claus. The last thing I would say on this is, you know, when, when, we, when we think about God as transactional, that's actually also not biblical. It says, you know, Santa says, if you do good, you'll get good. Or if you do bad, you'll get coal. Bible says in Romans 5, 7, but God proves his love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What I love about that is we didn't do a single thing to deserve that. It wasn't like he said, well, a whole bunch of people for like one year fasted and prayed and showed they could kind of figure it out, so then I died for them. Why we were yet sinners, why we were yet far away, why we were yet had not even acknowledged our desire to want what he had for us, he did it for us. That's so opposite of what the world's going to teach you God is like. And so, again, point number one, God is not Santa Claus. Is that good? Come on. Thank you, Travis Greeno. I miss you. I need a Travis Greeno in my life everywhere I go. I'm on a sales call. I make a point in the background. He's just like, yes, that was great. And my client's like, who's yelling in the background of your Zoom call? It's my hype man. Deal with it. I just close better when he's here. Everyone, everyone needs a Travis Greeno in their life. If you're, listen, if you're not cheerleading the people in your world, why are you there? We're meant to be each other's best friends and cheerleaders. So point number two Conveniently, don't be the Grinch. Shout out to the Vibers team. Just filmed the Grinch commercial with Dr. Seuss. Come on. Don't be the Grinch. I do love the new Grinch movie. The, the earlier one with, with Jim Carrey is like a little creepy for me. He's just, just a little too weird. I like the new one. My kids like that new one. Anyone remember what was wrong with the Grinch? That's right. His heart was too small. Why was his heart too small? Why was his heart too small? Hurt. Yeah. A girl. <laughs> yeah. This, this point is about how we deal with hurt. And what, what I've found is that we can be in church and have a lot of undealt with hurt. And that, that was really the story of my life here at this church, was, was processing hurt and healing in this church. It is a house of salvation but it's also a house of transformation. And, and that has to start from the inside out. I can't step into the husbandry I'm called to be, the fatherhood that I'm called to be, the, the, the things I'm meant to do in the business place, but have a broken heart. Everything that I have will be corrupted by that. And so what God wants to do with you first is heal your heart. What I've learned about anything from the Grinch is you do not let your hurt become your home. You do not let your hurt become your home. If you see what happened to the Grinch is he was in community. He was part of Whoville. But then because of hurt, he actually removes himself. And what, what's interesting about hurt, and it's modeled in the Grinch story, is he actually doesn't just isolate. He actually puts himself above the people who hurt him, literally in a cave looking down on the people that hurt them. And if we're not careful, undealt with hurt, you will do that. You will not only start to remove yourself from community, from that group, from that leader. You can start to go, 
I cannot believe, and they did that too, and they do this, and they're still getting that, and you start to judge them from an elevated position of hurt, but that's not healing. That's a hard heart. That's a cold heart. You also notice that the Grinch becomes comfortable in the trash and stench of his life. And for me, that's like perfect imagery of what my life was like. I had been hurt. My mom died when I was young. I had my best friend die shortly after that. And I had a lot of painful things that I had to walk through as a young man. And so what I did is I started to fill it with drugs, with porn, with sleeping around, with nightclubs, with anything that I thought could be comforting. And I allowed that to become the place I lived in. And I actually became okay with it. I actually would literally justify porn which is crazy because now I've seen the traps of it on the other side, but I, I could look at sleeping around and justify it. I, it. It would arguably be my trash. And I'd be like, no, 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 this is, this is good. This is, but hurt will get you to accept unacceptable things and compromise on living in trashy, stinky places. The other thing that's, that's odd about what the Grinch does is obviously he steals everything from the people who are happy. But what's interesting in this, the subtle twist here, is he doesn't get happy because he gets the gifts. He gets happy because he made them miserable or he tried to make them miserable. And just being candid, what what I've seen in my own life, an example of this is Rachel and I were trying to get pregnant and we had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. And what I started to have happen in my heart is that I, I would rather hear about people not having miraculous child's children than I would hearing them get pregnant. I wanted to identify with misery. I wanted to find comfort in other people's pain. And that's, that's, the, that's one of the twists, one of the, one of the evil things about hurt is that you will start to say, no, 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 I don't want healing I want other people to hurt more so that my hurt feels better. And that's a terrible place to be in, and that is not the best that God has for you. So you're probably saying, okay, Mike, I'm not, I don't wear a green suit. I don't snarl at little kids. I don't steal presents. I'm not the Grinch. But again, where do you act like it? Again, I'm just asking these questions to locate you because you can only get some out of some place once you locate where you're at. So when was the last time you didn't feel like being around people? I'm not saying you have to be the life of the party. I'm not saying you have to be around people all the time. But if you have a tendency to isolate, to stay at home, to, to retract, there's likely something undealt with in your heart. When was the last time you gossiped about somebody? This, to me, is the crab in the pot syndrome, right? We go, okay, well, hold on, hold on. Before you think they're that good, let me pull them down for you. Let me pull them down to my level. Let me tell you about the thing that you probably didn't need to know about about that person because actually I'm miserable and it'll feel better if I make it seem like they're as miserable as I am. And gossip is subtle, and, and, and it can tear down a community, and it can divide a church, and it can steal joy from you. And again, the, the root of that for me, every time I did that was, actually, there's something broken in my heart. There's something hardened and cold in my heart because I can't even be happy when something good happens to somebody. So when was the last time somebody's joy annoyed you? 
If you see the Grinch, he's actually up in his cave and he's like, why are they singing? And, and Instagram is probably the worst for this. It's like, why are they on vacation? I cannot believe he's celebrating his birthday. <laughs> you know, it's, it's silly, but if we're honest, if I'm honest with myself, I get triggered often to go, this should be a happy moment for them, and I'm somehow mad that they're happy. It's annoying that they're happy. And again, I just have to go, what's wrong with my heart? What have I not dealt with? The last thing I would say is, um, when's the last time you avoided the thing you actually wanted? For me, I, I had constantly spun my life into this idea that I was going to be rejected and left behind. And so the root of that was really a healthy desire of I wanted to be in community. I wanted friendship. But because I had a fear and an undealt with heart, I would actually become rejection. I would actually remove myself from groups. And I'll go, okay, well, they like that, and they're closer, and they've been longer friends, and he didn't invite me to this, and he didn't do that. And, she, and I would start to become the rejection that I feared. And I would take myself out of constant opportunities to be a part of the thing I wanted to be a part of. So how do you heal? How do you not let hurt become your home? Well, the Bible talks a lot about the condition of the heart. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it's a wellspring of life. Proverbs 13.12 says, Hope deferred makes a heart sick, but when the desire is fulfilled, it is a tree of life. Proverbs 17.22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. If you're not cautious enough to see where your heart's at, you actually become dry and brittle and everything around you can break you. You will have nothing to stand on. Proverbs 28 says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. And I, and I use that scripture because that was really me. For a lot of you who don't know our, our story, I got saved here when I was almost 31, had never read the Bible, didn't believe in God, was honestly a mess on legs, like chaos in everything that I did, hurting people everywhere I went, alone. All of my good friends had left me. The girl that I was dating had moved out. I was probably going out four or five times minimum to nightclubs, getting blacked out drunk, sleeping around, and I was, I was broken to the core with heartache and loss and fear. And I came to this church and got saved that day, and I've never stopped coming from that day. This is the only church I know. This is the only church I know. And, and what's crazy is that this, this is coming from a guy who told his girlfriend at the time that I would never come to church. And here I am. I'm at church a lot. But, but, what's, but what you can miss if you kind of gloss over 10 or 12 years is the process of not losing hope and constantly saying, God, I don't want a broken heart and I don't want to leave. And I believe that this is the only place that healing will happen. And so constantly for 10 years, I had to say, I will not give up on my marriage, even though we were sleeping in different rooms and we were seeing therapists two, three times a week to wonder if we were going to get divorced. We were dealing with uh, me being unfaithful. And 
We then transition into believing for kids and having miscarriage after miscarriage and me having to go, God, I'm I'm not going to harden my heart to you. It hurts like hell, but I will not give up on my family in the same way I will not give up for my marriage. We've gone, we've gone from almost being evicted out of our rental property to buying our first home. We went from getting laid off in a career in, a, in an area that I was really good at to being promoted to president of the company that I'm running now. But I, I, I try not to gloss over that because what you have to do is walk out the pain. And you have to say, God, I won't leave. I won't isolate. I won't give up. I won't stay in my cave because in the cave, every dream dies. So I have a video that I want to play for you real quick. If you can check your eyes, this screen. Yeah, our fragrance line is coming out next month. That's actually just a commercial for it. No, I, I, listen, I'm not here to highlight or promote our marriage, but that was us renewing our vows for our 10-year anniversary. With our miracle children in community after God had completely restored and healed and repaired our marriage. After God had completely delivered miracle children to us. After he restored a broken heart, a broken marriage, a broken life, he's that good. He's that good. Way better than Santa. I share that to give you hope and and to be transparent in a way that hopefully encourages you to not pretend to church. You don't have to put a mask on. You don't have to be here and have it all figured out. You don't have to be here and be clean. In your brokenness here, you will find God in community is the perfect place to heal. Amen? Amen. Eight minutes? Come on, we can do it. Point number three. 
Yeah, we'll go there. <laughs> Baby Jesus grew up and got a tattoo. There's an asterisk there for a reason. There's a scripture that a lot of people want to argue about whether or not Jesus had a tattoo and revelation on his thigh. I'm not really making that point. But the point is, is that when I grew up, all I ever saw was baby Jesus. My perception of Jesus was small. I didn't really understand why he came as a kid. It didn't really make any sense. Like if he was the savior, why didn't he come in as a warrior? Why didn't he come in with a sword? Why, didn't, why did he have to die? Why didn't he beat the bad guys? It wasn't explained to me. I had a very small revelation of Jesus. I would see Jesus on a cross in like a Catholic mass a little bit as a kid, but I didn't really understand what that meant either. So my, my perception of Jesus was small. But what, what, what that does, if you see Jesus only as a baby in a manger, it can almost create like a picture of someone who's weak, who's unrelatable, who's distant, who's maybe even insufficient. Because like, how could that baby help me in my need right now? Like my marriage is train wrecked. What is that gonna do for me? And what I found is that if that's your perception of Jesus, then it will create a weak faith in you, an unrelatable faith, an awkward faith, an insufficient faith. And that's not attractive to the world. And that's half the reason it took me so long to get to church is because the only Christians I knew were weird and weak because they didn't have a full revelation of Jesus as Lord, as King of Kings, as Lord of Lords. And so what I wanna help encourage you to do this morning is have a bigger picture of Jesus. Whether or not in your picture he has a tattoo on his thigh or not, doesn't matter. Don't email Pastor Jurgen and say, you, this kid at San Marcos is saying I can get a tattoo. That's not what I'm saying. But baby Jesus is not the final version of Jesus. But I wanna ask you, and you knew that, but do you act like that? Do we act like that? Do I act like that? Here's one way you can find out, is how easy is it for you to serve? If he's big, if he's king of kings and lord of lords, creators of the heavens and the earth, then everything I do is small compared to him, so serving him is easy. But if all the things I'm doing, like, hey God, I'm doing some big things. You should see me move Monday through Saturday. It's really hard for me to give up a Sunday. Then, then what happens is you start to have a small version of Jesus, because you wouldn't serve big to a small God, to a small savior. Is it challenging for you to tithe? And again, I don't ask this with any judgment. These are all things I worked out here over 12 years. But 10% to a small savior is a lot. Because again, I'm, I got a lot of things. I'm moving and shaking. I'm buying investment properties and I maybe might get into Bitcoin and who knows, you know, those new skinny jeans look awesome and I probably need another pair of boots. But if he's king of kings, and Lord of Lords, like 10% is easy because everything that I have, you've given me. If he's my protector, my provider, like I, like I read about, then that becomes easy because he's that big. 
I'll ask you, how quickly can you repent? And that can have a heavy wording and a heavy perception of it, but repenting is simply turning back to him. And again, a, a, small, a small savior, you might start to let small things slip by. Like, oh, maybe he didn't see that. Well, I mean, that's not that bad. I mean, I can kind of get away with that. But what I've learned is I want my whole life surrendered to him. I want everything surrendered to the King of Kings and the Lord. I want not a day to go by where I don't go, God, I repent of that anger. I repent of that lust. I repent of that fear. I repent of that shame. I repent of that poverty mindset. I, I, I want to I brush off every moment I can to him because if he wants to die for me, it says the joy set before him, then I want to always bring him what he paid for. He paid to cover it. He paid to take it from you. He paid so you don't have to carry it. So do not let yourself be convinced that you have a little savior. This one, I wanna challenge the guys on. What does your worship look like? And we're in a room mostly full of emerged men, so I, so I know that it's strong, but your wife should not lead your family in worship. Thank you, Travis. See how good that is? Imagine that on a sales call. And the reason you need to work with my company is because, oh, God, that would be good. We're going to make that happen. But, but if you look at how men tend to worship, if we worship at all, it's hands in pockets, arms crossed. But that's a sign of a small reaction because what I believed that I saw is there was a small God. If I can scream at a TV when the Chargers score, but I can't come down to an altar and raise my hands, then I've, I've limited the size of how God is. And I wanna, I wanna encourage and challenge the men. Men, show your kids what worship looks like. I want my daughter and my son to go, my dad believes in a big God because he responds big at every altar call and at every worship song and every opportunity. He's, he's praising the King of Kings. He watch, they watch everything you do. And so does the world. So does the world. Your neighbors and friends, whether you realize it or not, are watching how you worship, are watching how generous you are, are watching how you serve others. And that will be a light to them. The last question I'll ask you is, how much of his authority that he's given you do you operate in? He's given you the keys. And he's given you the Holy Spirit to empower you to do things you never thought were possible, to endure things, to innovate things, to create things, to build things, to magnify and glorify him. But if you think small God, you will do small things. And that is not what we are meant to do in this world. And you've all read your Bibles, so you'll know this, but he does return as a warrior on a horse. And the scripture I was referencing, it's Revelation 19, 16. It says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is not baby Jesus. He is the risen King. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Lion of Judah. He is our protector, our provider, our Lord, our Savior, the name that is above all names. That is the power of the name of Jesus. 
When you realize that you need him to be both of these things, it changes everything. To have a deep and full revelation of Jesus as the one who needed to come as a baby and the one who needed to die for you on a cross, you realize that he is the lamb. But then when you realize that he's also the lion of Judah, you realize that there is nothing more powerful than his name. You realize that real healing and real salvation and real hope and real freedom and real joy and real strength and real peace only come from the name of Jesus. The Bible puts it this way in Philippians 2.7. It says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance of a, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. He has the power to heal, to restore, to multiply, to heal, to resurrect, to forgive, and to save. Coming up to close. And one of the things I've felt called to do is to smash Christianese language. Because if we're saying a whole bunch of words that no one really ever uses or understands, we're not really doing ourselves any justice. And you'll realize that we do every service a thing called an altar call. And what we'll say is that those people got saved. Or we'll, we'll, we'll say how many salvations happened. And what, what I want to show you is that actually the word salvation comes from the base root word, which is solve. And to put a solve on something is actually what you do when you want to heal it. So in a moment, I'm going to ask anyone who needs God to heal something to raise your hand. The thing he came to heal above all is our relationship with him. And that's what salvation is about, is being restored and healed to a proper relationship with Christ and with God our Father. So if you came into this place, and maybe this is first times for you, and you're a new Christian like why I was when I walked in, welcome. This is a great place to uncover the goodness of God. And if you've been here for a while and you're hurting, this is a great place to walk out in community healing and transformation and having your heart and your hope and your life restored in the same way it was for us. He is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't go, well, Mike Finn, finally they put a pastor title in front of him, so now he gets favor. That's not how he works. I'm not even on staff. This has nothing to do with my position. It just has to do with being able to submit yourself into a place where you say, God, I want you to heal me. <clears throat> so on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you, if you want your relationship healed with God, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. So with every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you this morning and you came here and you said, you know what? I know you're not Santa Claus. I don't want to be the Grinch, and God, I want to believe that you're bigger than I've ever seen you. I want you to raise your hand. And if you said, God, I, I've been here for a while, and honestly, I, don't, I haven't really trusted you very much, and I've kind of rescinded, I've isolated, I've gone into my own cave, I've, I've removed myself from you and from community, and I want it, 
I want to heal that this morning. I want you to raise your hand. So on the count of three, one, two, three. Come on across this room. I want to see those hands. I want to see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands over here on the left. I see two more hands. Come on in the back. I see your hand. Beautiful. On, I'll give one, one more moment for anyone who wants to respond. Because healing doesn't have to be rushed. God is waiting for you. He's waiting for you to say, I want to heal you today. I came here to make things right with you. Beautiful. I think we had about 10 hands raised. Come on, can we give a round of applause for those who raise their hands? Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we are going to dismiss service. But for those of you who raise your hand, we have a Bible and a book for you. We want, to, we want to help you walk through the next steps of whatever that is for you. We'll have our ministry team here praying. If you need prayer for something specific, whether it's physical healing or a healed heart, we want you to come down and do not leave the same way that you came in. But if today was your first day responding or you're rededicating, I want you to repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you came for me and you died for me and you rose for me. I thank you that you are my Savior and my Lord. Today, heal my heart, heal my mind, and use me to bring healing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com. Or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.